Welcome aboard the USS Aeronome. To become a member of our crew, please visit perfectorganism.com slash support. As a patron of Perfect Organism, you'll receive exclusive perks and early access to content. Incoming audio transmission received. Please proceed to Subdeck 3 to begin playback. Thank you, and welcome aboard. I think we ought to discuss the bonus situation. Right. Brett and right. I, we think we ought to, we deserve full shares, right, right David? You see, Mr. Park and I feel that the bonus situation is... Move! Get out of there! George, move! Dad! Move, Dad! Move, Dad! Get out! Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I am joined by my co-host... Patrick Green, one of two names that are sort of colors on the show tonight. Our guest... Oh, that's true. I actually hadn't thought of that until until right now. Uh, green but, and white. <laughs> green and but white. But I am... Like I'm half black and half white, so I'm a color too. <laughs> there you go. That's right. That's the same thing. There you um, go. I'm not disputing it. We are so excited. This is this is uh, extremely long overdue. We are huge fans of our guests' work tonight. This is, if, if you haven't guessed yet, by the title of this episode and the fact that you can hear them talking in the background. Alex White is on the show tonight, everybody. Alex White, author of Welcome. not only The Cold Forge, which was a massive hit, which we will talk about, but Into Freaking Ribdis, which just came out a matter of a week ago. Ribdis, man. <laughs> we are feverishly reading through i am i made it 450 pages before this episode started and i seriously wanted like leave i'm halfway through to audiobook oh yeah. it's just awesome. oh yeah we're gonna be talking what, about what, it tonight uh, and it's gonna be great. what chapter jamie um it just ended chapter 16 <gasps> oh yeah is that part two yet? yeah is that part two i don't i don't know i are you I into part three um, all I know is, uh, I can't remember her name. She wanted, um, a $20 million settlement and uh -huh. she was, you know, and that's, po we're, po we're post. Yes. We're post all of that and things are going to shit. Okay. Well, we have, this actually brings up something valid, which I want to be careful. Hold about. on. Hold on. I don't understand what post all of that means. Well, <laughs> like she, she's. I don't she want to make says, any mistakes because I really want you to have the best possible experience. Uh, I, it's it's fascinating. Stuff. Uh, well, okay. So she thinks she's getting a $20 million settlement and then you find out that she's not going to get anything. Right. Uh -huh. From And that's, so that's where I stopped. Okay. Um, we really can't have any spoilers on this show. <laughs> yeah. I, well, because I, be I will die if Jamie has less than the perfect experience reading this book. I will be so upset if anyone <laughs> spoils anything for Jamie. <laughs> because the disappointment of not getting a $20 million settlement is pretty bad. So I yeah. wouldn't want to spoil any other curveballs. Okay. 
and there are many curveballs that come. You could spoil that. I don't care after that. Well, I mean, well, but I, I, I also want to be careful. You I do care. care. You care. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Other markets, like our Australian friends, of whom there are many, do not have this book yet. Our UK not friends audio I form? don't. I don't think. I think New Zealand got it. Okay. I don't know. It's a weird rollout, Alex. I don't know who's who's behind this, but, but we're getting it at different. All I can moments. tell you is, Jamie, you've given me such a thrill this evening. Really? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, man. I'm just so glad that you were so moved by that loss of that settlement. <laughs> well, that's just where I'm at. It's not. I mean, I was more moved by the the Huntsman Spider. And the description mm. of the legs moving in was really creepy because oh, I'm yeah. an arachnophobe, but I'm also um, fascinated by spiders. So I look at spiders all the time while being terrified of them. But I feel like if I engage my fear, it'll make it easier. It doesn't. Right. <laughs> so right. Re hearing that description of the legs pulling in. Oh, yeah. That was yeah, good. I so I love I love talking to people about what what gear they feel like the book is in. Like while they're while they're reading it, I have this very limited number of people that I'm allowed to expose my books to, you know. And so while they're reading it, I'll be constantly like, okay, first through fifth, what what gear do you think the book is in? And so I'm really curious, Jamie, okay. what gear do you feel like the book is in? Um... Fifth is like fifth is like 200 miles an hour. We're not sure if we're gonna live if you keep it up. Okay. No, I don't think we're in fifth gear. Gear, gear. Uh, we're not in fifth gear for me. But I do feel like there are. There's almost three aliens on board, if I can use that term. Um, oh, I'm terrible with names. Um, the Iranian man who's really mean. What's his name? Um, Haroon. 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 But is it Haroon? Yes. Um, and then I just feel like there's a lot of presences in this book that are a threat to everyone. Uh, it's the alien is almost the byproduct. Like they're a threat we have to deal with, but we need to uh -huh. deal with the human threat first. So I feel like in terms of humanity and their threat, we're in gear five. Like I, I, I don't, I almost feel like the humans oh, are going to. So, so some humans about to do something is what you're yes. telling me. I feel like the humans are going to kill each other before the aliens get to them. That's what oh. I feel like. All right. Um, All right. We'll have to see how that plays out for you. Okay. <laughs> you <got another. laughs>
Yeah, see, and I didn't have that experience because because I didn't see that when it first aired, and so so right. I already knew that it happened, and it kind of yeah. Re- if you know it's gonna you know about happen, the red wedding it's before, BS. who cares, right? Yeah, no, I did know about it before I saw it, and they yeah. had the, the the ball the gall to kill off what's his name, who was the king of the north. What's that guy's name? Um, like John Stark. Stark. Oh, not only was he beautiful, he was the leader I wanted, was and they killed him. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> tragedy. Oh, and, oh, rest in peace. Press F4. Yeah. I know, I know. I mean, and then but they like, the series. he died young and fabulous. I mean, you got to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Looking corpse, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so that's Alex, uh, this, there's there's so much that we need to get to tonight. I, I want to be yes. respectful of your time. You're a very busy person. In addition to your, hey. you know, career as a as a writer of many types of fiction, which I'm sure we'll touch on. You know, you also have a career in, you know, interface <coughs> design and all these other things as well. So mm-hmm. we're gonna get to some of that tonight. Podcasting. Uh, your music career as we're staring at a wall of synthesizers right now behind you. Um, but before we get into any of that, uh-huh. I want to go back because I, because you and I have had the chance to speak now a few times about the Cold Forge, which to me still, Charybdis, I have to say, stands up to it 100%. Charybdis. Oh, nice. Feels exactly like an Alex White alien novel, which is absolutely ravishingly fun to have again. But Cold Forge has a special place for me because I feel like I've lived with it now and I've read it enough that it's just sort of like a it's become a part of my like alien fan, you know, makeup. So I really would love to touch on that a little bit. And I guess to touch on that, I want to go back for a moment to your personal journey with Alien. when did the story okay so there's a there's a pretty big gap in there where like i'm out of high school but not employed as a writer of aliens so like i'm (laughs) 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 so so, i mean like i i've always loved alien and um you know i i gotta say like so here's what happened was my love of alien starts with terminator 2 and i know that's a weird statement but bear with me my parents let my, uh, me watch Terminator 2 with them because it had just come out on VHS. They hadn't seen it yet, and their friends, my second grade teacher and her husband, <laughs> um, were going to come over and watch Terminator 2. I got my parents to be friends with my second grade teacher. That's what kind of a suck up I was. <laughs> and so, like, and I would like go hang out at the the teacher's house. Like, like my parents would like let me stay overnight with them. And of course, now that I'm a parent, I'm like you guys were amazing favor people, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like they didn't have any kids and they kind of wanted a kid. So it was like a, like a rental kid. You know? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> sheet. Yeah. Right. Right. You could be like, okay, I actually don't want kids. Like, thanks for the monthly dose of, I don't want kids, <laughs> but I liked it. Cause I could stay up all night and play Nintendo. You know, that was right. Right. You know, that was what I was signed up for. And I think that this guy, uh, was signed up to play Nintendo because this kid was the only person who was willing to fucking play Nintendo with him. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's beside the point. He introduced me to action and horror and action horror. Uh, so uh, what happened was Terminator 2 comes out. He convinces my parents to let me watch it. He's a fucking god. And I watch it and I'm immediately in for anything that we have. Uh, I mean, I was deeply disturbed by the nuclear holocaust scene as a kid. I mean, like that it's one actually bad way to start things off. Yeah, that was pretty rough. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I mean, it really incinerated stuck with children me. on a playground. That'll stick in your head. Yeah, right. 
But I'll tell you, within two years, I was reading To Build a Fire in middle school and Scarred for Life. So it was fine. <laughs> you know, if, if you haven't read To Build a Fire, you haven't been to American middle school where they want you to know that sometimes the main character doesn't live. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I like, yeah, it's, it's just a highly relevant literary discussion, I feel. So the thing about... Um, where were we? Fuck. Terminator 2. Which Terminator actually, 2. But before right. you go further with this, I want to point out you were seven or eight, right, when you saw it? No. In second grade? I, I'm, I'm, no. That was my second grade teacher. Oh, uh, was your teacher like, in second grade. We okay. remained years for, uh, friends for years. Did, this was a, a real friendship. It took a long time Alex for me to ruin that relationship. <laughs> what are you talking about? Alex is a 10 year old. <laughs> Alex well, is 21 years old. Because <laughs> we always have people on the show and we have this conversation about when did they fall in love with Alien and everybody always says seven or eight. At least that, that's what it was for me. So I, I was I was hoping you were going to like help reinforce this, Alex. I'm a little disappointed that this was so, not quite as early for you. So what happened was he gave me. Uh, and so, so I watched Terminator 2 and my parents were like, okay, what else, what else can they watch? And, and I, and, and so they, they gave me this, this amazing, uh, it was alien, aliens, um, alien three, uh, predator, predator two, warlock. <laughs> I love warlock. <laughs> I love that too. Uh, the outliers. <laughs> Julian Sands. I mean, come um, on. God, there, there had to be like one or two others, and like I had seen like Mortal Kombat in the theater and stuff like that. So like we were kind of getting to that age where it was like okay to watch depictions of slaughter, right? You know, and and of course as a kid I was all about anything that had like a fucked up relationship with sexuality. I guess <laughs> you know like Eon Flux. I was just like, oh, what is that? And like yeah. Rocky Horror. Yeah. And Alien kind of like pinged my radar when I like started like <laughs> I was just like wow that is a that is a really weird alien that has some pretty weird relationships to the human body. Yeah. Anyway, um, so and Giger has obviously you know owned up to that shit. Anyway, um, so I was really interested in the bio horror aspect of it, but more than anything, I was interested in the futurism of it. Mm. and how bizarrely kind of real it felt and and how as i get older i'm like now nah, that's the future that we're headed toward <laughs> i mean it feels like shit in there and they have all the uh it's like what if you lived in the future and it still sucked you know <laughs> and, <I'm>, <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't star trek yeah yeah because i mean it kind of because i mean you know they're not that far from an age when people were saying like, well, because we have the personal computer, we'll go from 40 hours of work a week to four hours of work a week. Right. And it's like, no, we're not going to pay you for those other hours. And we're going to give you additional responsibilities. And we're going to shatter your personality by having you do 12 jobs you're not qualified for. Welcome to the fucking future, pal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, it is, it is, um, you know, and I, I mean, and, and when you look at Alien, you're like, wow, how dystopian. They said on a Zoom call during a massive pandemic. Right. Right. Like, uh, and, and, and why are we having such bad pandemic problems? Well, we want to keep the economy healthy. Yeah, geez, Alien, what an irrelevant, weird. <laughs> <laughs> There's a parasite. Let's go to a mission, right? Yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. 
or like yeah. Jaws, but safe to open the beaches. Yeah. What's funny about it is that, you know, so I watched all the movies, right? And of course, the ones that hit me the hardest the first time around was Aliens, easily. I mean, Aliens, like, I don't care what you just watched as a, at that era in history. If you watched Alien, you were in for something new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and so... Um, I was immediately like a fan, but the one that I kept coming back to was Alien. And it was just the spectacular photography and just the acting and the the, the kind of level of, I don't know, intrigue and, and feeling like the conspiracy was so much more superior. Uh, you know, like I loved Aliens, but it is... It is, from a plot perspective, fairly flawed. (laughs) Mm. I mean, I love it. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. But there are a lot of things that I feel like people don't act enough in their own self-motivation. I mean, like, look at Burke. Burke is the whole reason the Cold Forge exists. Really? Right. Yeah, because I felt like... uh, I feel like aside, somebody was like, I was like, what is one self-motivated thing that Burke does? Like one thing that he does that turns into profit for him in the entire plot. Does he ever turn a profit? No, he's a company man through and through, right? No, he's terrible at this. Like, and he gets, <laughs> he gets killed almost immediately when he's on his own because he flew out personally to go investigate a thing that he knew was going to be a biohazard. That's when true. He's the director of special projects. I'm like, Carter, do you not have anybody who works for you? <laughs> yeah, like why do they send him? Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, why are you personally going here? Right. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm going to unleash these face huggers. I mean, what kind of skittish fucking work was that coming up to the, the, you know, Ripley and Newt's like room and being like, well, I, I gotta let this thing out and hope it doesn't come back at yeah, me. Cause I'm all foot behind <laughs> it when this is happening, presumably. Right. Yeah. I, I, I thought about that too. Yeah. He's, he's not like, I, I, I bet he unscrewed the lid and threw the canister <laughs> and then shut the door. <laughs> I bet that the, the yeah. little, I bet that the little clatter clatter was what they heard. Well, <laughs> Or how did those things fall over in the med lab without Ripley waking up? Because those things are all over the floor. Yeah. 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 Now, another question. Where did all the liquid inside of those tubes go? I was just going to say that. Yeah. Why are they? Because, yeah, they're sleeping on a flat floor next to an electric heater. (laughs) (laughs) You could have killed them a lot faster if you wanted, Burke. (laughs) It's literally a heater right next to it. Yeah. Just. Yeah. And that's it. Wait a sec. Wow. You're wrong. Yeah, I really hoped that the specimen was going to get him, but I didn't understand electricity and water. (laughs) Carter Burke. You're wrong. I mean, and so, like, he is just genuinely, everybody's always like, I don't trust Paul Reiser. The entire strength of that character is Paul Reiser. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, there's, he took what was possibly just the worst least intelligent character and turned it into somebody actually scary yeah and so when i was like wow what if you know what <laughs> this clown was effective that's a horror movie villain <laughs> and and the villain of the cold forge dorian sutler to me 
is like one of the best characters to come about in any expanded alien stuff. And in, in I mean, I think, you know, I, I wanted to actually talk if we can about Cold Forge, like I mentioned for a second, because so many mm. of the characters in that, and I am not spoiling anything. Uh, so many of the characters from the Cold uh, Forge persist uh. in our heads and our hearts as fans. Uh -huh. um, among them, Blue Marsalis, who I think was a, a, a major breakout. I think Dorian Sutler was a major breakout. Marcus, the android, was huge. And even just the RB232, you know, Cold Forge facility itself, they're all like living, breathing, real feeling elements that um, uh -huh. I, and so I guess what, what I wanted to ask you about, Alex, before we get into Charybdis is um, actually literally get into, into Charybdis. <laughs> I know. I love that. <laughs> When people Every bring... interviewer's gone into, into Charybdis. <laughs> into, into Charybdis. I'm like, go for it. <laughs> when, when fans bring up Cold Forge with you, what did they tell you uh, was important to them? Like, what's, what's stuck with them? No one's ever said anything was important to them about Cold Forge. I mean, like, not to, well... What makes I, there was a guy who said that he read my books every day and i was like that's actually kind of disturbing <laughs> <laughs> i mean and I, i'm not trying to make fun of the guy i mean like if, if that mean that much to you that's great but like you have a different relationship with my books than even i do right i want you to know that's now between you and the books and you can leave me out of it <laughs> <laughs> and maybe your therapist <laughs> right like i am so proud of you for getting any help that you need because if you read my <laughs> books once a day i don't think that it's good for you i don't i i mean this is this is why i'll never be tolkien but but what, what do people you know i i feel like so I, I, let, me, let me do this let me tell you what for me is important about your fiction at least you know i've read some of the salvagers trilogy i've read cold forge i've read almost the entirety of Charybdis. Mm -hmm. um, and to me, the things, there's a few things that stick out about the way that you write. Um, one of them is just how unforgettable the characters are. Like I mentioned, they just feel so fully realized and so alive. Their dialogue is different. So you don't even need to see who's, you know, which to me is a mark of a good writer when you can just tell who's speaking. You don't have to worry about, you know, being directed to figure that out. But also the attention to detail that you give, especially of, of the technology. So, you know, the, the, the actual places in these books feel very much like fully fleshed out characters to me. The ways in which these places operate, the ways in which people navigate these places, sure. the ways in which people process information, the way in which information is transmitted, your technological background, I think, as a, you know, I mean, one of the main characters in Charybdis is a front end developer, right? And, and there's a lot of jokes <laughs> yes. about that in there, which I just love. I, I mean, some of the, the parts that make me laugh the hardest are the things in there because Jamie and I both do graphic design work quite a bit. And there's a lot okay, of Okay, like, good, good. So you know you this. You know these yeah. jokes. <laughs> and they're hilarious because it's so true, right? So, so right. that's another thing I love. And also just the sense of pervasive dread intermingled with moments of lever levity. They all come together to make me feel like I can identify an Alex White alien novel. Those are things that I find important about it but what if you know and we'll get to this in a minute fandom really swarmed around cold forge when it came out it was a moment of like real solidarity for people sure. and uh and that's I, I know a big reason why charybdis happened in the first place oh totally it's the entire reason why it happened <laughs> and so but those people who kind of banded together around it when you've interacted with them what have they mentioned to you uh is special about your work well i mean everybody really likes um dorian yeah. And the way that, you know, the way that he messes with your head and the way that he, you know, like there's a little bit of Dorian in all of us, right? So like 
the 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 thing that I tried to do when I wrote him was make sure that he had at least a couple of thoughts that you also would have yeah. in your pettiest of hearts. Right. And 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 also like there's this moment where, for instance, he sees the xenomorph for the first time. Right. And it's really like a religious sexual experience for him. But it, you know, I tried to take it and remind myself that we all had a moment where we saw that creature and we were like i love that thing yeah what is that like i gotta see it eat like everyone <laughs> <laughs> you know like like i mean that is the point right and that's one of the things i like about alien uh just working in the alien uh franchise because there's only one member of the cast i have to involve right like i mean god bless them for making a ripley book i'm so glad that nobody was like you need to make a based on this character book because right the idea of like working around those kinds of strictures i mean uh, you know uh, that's what i did for trek and that's you know it's a different animal and you have to approach the structure of your book differently you know and and like this xenomorph doesn't have a i mean it has a history and it has a future but like there's a lot of unwritten area and as long as you don't try to tell anybody too much of how it works they let you do whatever right so i mean i have a couple i have my own functioning set of rules for the xenomorph um you know like if it gets its hands on you you're dead like <laughs> i just i i don't want it to be like Oh, and then they tortured you for a few minutes. No, right? Like, like, it, and and that's that's assuming they dragged you correctly back to the cell where they were going to impregnate you and didn't accidentally hit your head on a bulkhead or something, right? <laughs> right? Like they don't know. Like, oh yeah, oh, it's human. Boom. Oh my bad. They don't care. <laughs> right. You know, something else that you do with the, speaking of xenomorphs in particular is your descriptions of them really stick with me a lot. Mm. Uh, and one, of the, we we've had like. Like I mentioned to you, Alex, when we were setting this interview up, we've had like a whole string of writers on over the mm -hmm. last couple of months. And something we've gone into into some way with all of them has been like how they describe Xenomorph. Because it's like, you know, we've, we've yeah. all clearly know what they look like. We've all clearly been immersed in this for a long time. How do you make it feel, you know, different and interesting? Something that I love that you talk about is how insectoid they are. Right, like with the carapace and the chitin and all this stuff. I feel like you do a really sure. good job of getting that across. So, like, how how do you, uh, what do you think about the visuals of the xenomorph? Like, what what's appealing to you? What's scary about them? Well, I'll tell you that the carapace and and the chitin are really both very much features of the fact that I grew up in the '90s reading the Dark Horse novels. Yeah, and you know, like they really hammered home those were kind of the brand terms for the armor and that made a lot of sense to me uh because it does it feels natural right and you don't have to say exactly what chitin is made out of mm -hmm. um and, and 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 you know in my constructions it's pretty it's pretty wild um i actually think that those 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 corpses are pretty dangerous despite the acid right like i don't think you should move them with gloves on I, I think you should just stay away from them. <laughs> right. Like, I don't care if it's stopped bubbling. <laughs> don't touch it. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, that that is to say, uh, 
when I look to try and describe the xenomorph, and first of all, when I'm working on the book, for the duration that I work on the book, I call them snatchers, like in my daily speech uh, or whatever. And then when I was working on this one, for the duration of this book, they were x-rays. X-rays, yeah. Right. And, and like, because I don't think xenomorph is a very good term as a in-universe scientific professional term. Right. It's a classification. Right. I mean, anything is xenomorphic. It's a foreign object. <laughs> right. Strange shape. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, uh, yeah. Right. So it's not a very good designation, but it looks good and it has the X in it. And it has like, you know, like it has all the things that we need to make it feel in, you know, inhuman because in English, we don't have a lot of X's. <laughs> right so you know but I, I like to load up clips of the the animal and watch it work you know uh, uh when i'm writing if i start feeling like it's like a guy in a suit i'm immediately like oh i gotta go watch some clips mm -hmm. and i have i have the ones that i come back to on a pretty regular basis you know, there's the the storming of the op center and aliens, you know, and of course the initial attack in the nest, which the initial attack in the nest has, you know, it feels so tense, yeah. but they do surprisingly lots with very little in that first attack. They pull so many punches compared to where they're going to take you. It's like they recognize like, oh, we already know that this is par for the course good for the time. And we've got this coming, <laughs> right? So you get out of that first sequence and you're just like, <gasps> you know, and, and then, and then, and then you get into the command center later and you're just like it, there's a moment, I think in some movies where they can overcome your willpower and you're just staring mm. and you, you, the thinker is pretty much gone. And you're just like, there's a lot happening and I'm totally understanding all of it at the same time. And my heart's racing. And, I, you know, I feel like that, that, you know, you have that kind of moment of oneness looking at that first op center storming, you know? Oh, my God. And then by the time the queen shows up, I think part of why people always, talk about, people always talk about aliens there's is just more. But yeah, it, it's like got 27 people puppet, puppeting it and the terraforming colonies collapsing and there's explosions and there's so much stimuli at that point. Oh, yeah. but, you're, but you've been conditioned to expect that. So it's delivering on your expectations in a way, but your expectations came about because you've been watching this movie that has subverted the expectations you had. So you're like totally speaking the language of the film as it's happening and being excited by it. And I think, yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I try to... And, and so the other thing is, I think when you're writing these things, it's important not to describe what you're seeing on the screen any more than it, you would want to describe just like gore, right? Like I can talk about like shoving your claws into some guts and pulling them open and then the entrails come out. I mean, I do a little bit of that. I dabble. <laughs> but like if I'm really going to try and hit you with the xenomorph poetry, right? The thing that people are really going to like remember what I need to do is I need to tell you 
how it feels to see it the first time. Mm. Right? And so that's what I'm actually trying to write. It's not, what does it look like? You know what it looks like. <laughs> you, But you probably haven't been reminded in a little while, you know, what it's like to have your first crush, so to speak. Right. You know, and that is that is where it's at, you know, for me. And and I want these things to always be really mysterious. I mistakenly said in another interview that we always stay out of their heads. Uh, and obviously that's not the case even um, even in, 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 in my works, you know, but I, I would say that y you want them to stay majestic and wild, right? Like we can't have them domesticated. And if we have a situation where it's stable and that has to stop, you know, they're, they're a corroding force. You can't store them mm. for any length of time. They're, and 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 you know for a variety of reasons they're politically corrosive you know especially in charybdis right there's a, a huge political element to charybdis too yeah yeah there really is i mean and we can get into that now if you want I, you know I, I feel like i don't want to hijack your questions no i one a couple of uh, observations that i wanted to make um i do agree uh, with Patrick and then again with what you were saying in terms of how you describe the the experiences with the x-rays the xenomorphs um, and how that description was hearing it in the audiobook was really effective to me um, and I think it's it's hard to pull off it's hard to make um, something that we know scary but Right. As someone who runs like the Perfect Organism Facebook and social media pages, I see the xenomorph every day and they still scare the shit out of me every really? day. Yeah, every day. But to have it described in a way that scares you is a hard thing to do. Sure. Um, and in, in moments where you're not just talking about what the thing's doing, you're talking about, yeah, those tendons won't detach from bones as easy as you think. So, oh, right. guys, you know, like that was freaky to me and and the description of the teeth um and and you're trying to sort of figure out what they're doing and that's what makes them scary we don't really know what they're doing aside from killing well what do they want right no if they want anything and that that if you're lucky they want to kill you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and that th th those descriptions and uh the reactions of characters watching what's unfolding just fantastic and one uh observation i wanted to make that um i felt was really uh it was very effective for me as dialogue is important dialogue is difficult and as you know i was reading the book or whatever audio listening to the audio of the book and you hear the, the characters talk back and forth and there's a lot of that going on in the beginning a lot of interpersonal uh -huh. drama and at first i was like because it's a science fiction book, so we're so conditioned by Star Trek and by so many things. My first thought was like, wow, they're so mean to each other. Um, but then you're like, well, of course, because humans don't change. We're shitty right. people. We can be really shitty to each other. Right. And I loved that you brought that 
element into this novel that it, these people were real. They are as full of, of um, flaws um, as we are. And those flaws are, are sinking them. They're sinking them. And what could, what they could do to sort of engage each other and be a team and be a unit, which talking about, it seems like, yeah, what it's, it's, impacted by politics it's impacted uh-huh. by religious dogma it's impacted by um social cues it's impacted right. by gender issues and th- there's so much going on there whereas and it goes on for so long i that my first impressions were like man we're the aliens in this book aren't we we're just horrible <laughs> we're horrible to each other and i love that because it's 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 really the spirit of of what I feel like Alien is about. Oh my it's, God. I wish you had listened for just like one more hour before this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You're killing um, me. Don't worry. I'll, I'll be listening well, later on when we're done. Um, but okay. yeah, so I just <laughs> wanted to. Good you have permission to text me anything you want <laughs> okay. at any hour. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but whatever the case, whatever might happen, uh, I really do feel like, again, I, I'm a bit of a purist. I'm an alien purist. I don't, hmm. I feel like the alien genre is very specific. It's about imperfect oh, yeah. humans in a, in a, in a very tenuous situation. And how do you respond to that? Do your better angels respond or do your darker angels respond? And Absolutely. that's what alien's about to me. And, but I also think that alien is also about, we're the alien the company is the alien that's right. who the, the biggest threat is and these xenomorphs they're just making things worse um, right and company is scapegoating through them um and almost like the the that's how we're selling these stories is with that creature but that creature isn't the point and charybdis really captures that so 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 there's always i feel like in every alien story there needs to come a point where every character realizes that there's no one coming to help me and if you've been in that position before you'll recall what that feels like it is extraordinary the first time you realize that you're entirely alone and your fate is yours now (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and and so if you've had that experience you know one of the things that's always great is to kind of put the characters into that position and some characters try to respond by saying okay well i'm not into dying today Mm -hmm. you know other characters try to respond by saying okay well now my life needs a purpose you know, and other characters still like Dorian, for example, are purely self-interested. I mean, from the moment he hits page one, (laughs) you're like, when the aliens get out, this guy's going to be a fucking problem. (laughs) 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 Right. Like if you don't know that that guy's there for the long haul from the moment you meet him, (laughs) you've never read alien before. So, yeah, I mean, I think that um, I think that you have to have all the characters have this catalytic experience, and everybody comes through with an agenda at that point. Every single person, 
anything that you could have possibly suppressed about what you need or think or want is gone in a situation where no one is coming to help you, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it is interesting to see because, you know, if you've seen it before, especially if you've seen it in other people, if you've been around somebody who feels like that, that's not great. (laughs) So, yeah. I mean, I expect a lot of people are dealing with that in the pandemic. Yeah. Oh, it reminds me of a quote from uh, a song called Bartholomew and it says you're going to sink or swim you're going to learn the truth no matter what you do you're going to learn the truth Um, Mm -hmm. and it's that's essentially and that truth you could swap that out for agenda you're going to learn where where you stand when you're in that moment where there is no one to rescue you and you have to rescue you or not what are you going to do right Patrick I didn't mean to cut you off no, no, I, I was just agreeing with what Alex was saying about the pandemic. And, and also just with this, going back to what you were saying in the beginning, Alex, about how um, something that's very much at the heart of what alien stands for is uh, is it's not a fundamental nihilism because it's not as reductive as no. that. But it's not it's not a fundamental optimism. It's more that space is not necessarily where we want to be, right? Like we don't, mm. it's not like we are going there with the best intentions, it's not like the people who are going into space are, you know, running nonprofits and, you know, trying to save species. Like they're right. going with Some of them are right. trying to indenture us for servitude on Mars. Right, exactly. Clearly, right? And so I, I think what's interesting is that in most science fiction, the, this this idea that exploration, you know, this Asimovian I, ideal, right? Where like, if we get off this world and we go explore, we'll, we'll find amazing new frontiers and we'll, we'll, we'll build incredible things. But Alien very much says like, what if we leave this world and we find ourselves? And that is a horrifying thing. And that's why, you know, right. from the, 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 you know, the nonfiction of John Krakauer to, you know, the fiction of Alex White, I think a lot of books that deal with that at people at, at the extremes are very much books about finding ourselves and about how, how scary that can be. Sure. And in something, so, you know, there's, again, I'm trying to be very careful with spoilers, but there are ties not only to the, the Alex White verse in Charybdis, but there's also ties to, uh, you know, William Gibson's Alien 3 unproduced screenplay in here. There's there's ties to other things as well. And uh, and a lot of it is political. A lot of it is talking about what happens when you have competing, you know, imperial dynamics at play from different states who are trying to colonize and, you know, arguing over resources and things. And what, what, when that spills out into, you know, intergalactic or interstellar space, what that looks like. And then, you know, which mm-hmm. on its own, as we're saying is already compelling and already something that we're invested in, but you throw aliens into that mix and it just makes it even, even better. So that's a very long winded way of getting to my question for you, which is, I think the last thing we'll do before we get to listener questions, uh, which was when cold forge came about, I I read in interviews, I think uh, with Aaron, actually, I think this was Aaron Percival, whose name you might recognize in the, in the, yeah, Uh, (laughs) i've met him who what (laughs) yeah Uh, i think you were telling him at avp galaxy about how uh they when when you were pitching cold forge you were pitching a couple of different story angles right and there were sort of alien stories like cold forge and there were aliens stories like perhaps some of what happens in in, into uh and i'm wondering for you two questions one that might be related, that might not be related. The first question is, are you fundamentally, at the end of the day, on your deathbed with somebody holding a microphone asking you this question, are you an alien person or an aliens person? That's the first question. Okay. And the second question, 
the deathbed thing is just to make it more exciting. That's just, you know. Okay, yeah. No, know, it's okay. We can do this up. now. I don't have to die or anything. I can <laughs> <die> or anything. <laughs> <laughs> you can pretend. Uh, and the second question oh. is, was this book in your head and your heart when you were thinking about Cold Forge as another story direction, or is this something that came about after the fact? Those are my, my two closing questions before the listener questions. Or anything, James. Awesome. Made. Yeah, and, and we can take as much time as we need to. I, 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 okay, so... Uh, Okay, first off, I'm an alien person. Like, I love aliens, and technologically, it is far and away superior. Uh, and th there's no doubt in my mind that the fantastic work that James Cameron forced out of his crew <laughs> with a merciless bullwhip was really great. <laughs> Good job. However, the subtlety, the pacing, the 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 truth of the story it's all there in alien and it's there in a way that has this incredible just dimensionality to it like at the end of the day i definitely felt like the threat of conspiracy was real and alien in ways that i learned it was as an adult <laughs> and you know and in aliens there's not as much of that and and hey look that's cool it just that's what i'm here for so i write books for what i'm here for uh to answer your second question uh when i finished cold forge i had no idea that the reaction was going to be this strong and i had struggled to make sure that i had built a really good alien story and so when it was just like you got another one i was like what <laughs> <laughs> i barely had the first one <laughs> you know um but i mean it's because in order to do a story like everybody thinks like oh you have to be inspired with an idea and then you uh, no you just go out and you mine for it right and like i go and i watch all the media again if i'm gonna work on a movie project or a tv show or whatever you know i i go and i uh uh try and you know immerse myself in the thoughts required by taking notes arbitrarily on stuff mm -hmm. i don't know if you do this like you just it's like uh what what's the system you're supposed to use to take notes to do a tie-in novel there's no system just just do a bunch of re watch a bunch of stuff take some notes come up with some what if questions look for corners of the margins that you could scrunch your story into without conflicting too terribly uh -huh. um right and then eventually you start to find the heart and soul of the book and when i wrote cold forge that was like my like sixth or seventh novel maybe i mean it wasn't and and, and so like from my perspective the good things that had happened in my other books still felt like chance and you know and and so I had gone to the word mines to find these three ideas for Cold Forge. And I feared when I was invited back that that was just lightning in a bottle, that I just kind of, I just had three ideas. <laughs> and that was it. Right. And like those other ones weren't very good. And so I had a bunch of directives, though, that they were trying to like get me to go for. And they were, um, which I feel so bad for the people at Titan. They were so nice putting up with me because 
I won't work on something unless I'm just sure I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's like when they were like, you want to write a Jedzia Dax book? I was like, oh my God, the one character that I felt like I could actually do, I got asked <laughs> to do a book for. <laughs> Who told you that I wasn't like up to current on track? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so like, uh, you know, with with this stuff, it's, um, you know, it's it's, I had to find the plot and one of the things that they invited me to do was write for a colonial marines game prequel uh you may have seen the game recently advertised today yeah it was was today which that's crazy because i didn't realize that was like privileged information (laughs) (laughs) no one told me anything i didn't sign anything so whatever but they said you know hey do you want to write a colonial marines game and I've spent a lot of my life working in the defense industry and nothing would thrill me less. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, you know, like I love working with soldiers and I like talking to them and hearing about their stories and finding out how we can do better as Americans by them. Right. But at the same time, I think that the religious zealotry with which we approach soldiering is disturbing. And so do many of them. You know, I know people who suffer from a very strange sort of PTSD where they went overseas and they, you know, they got indirectly bombed, but they weren't like hit. They came home and everybody's like, Thank God for you. You're the greatest thing that's ever happened to this earth. Thank you for your service. And these people know people who died. Right. And they're like, wait, I just I just like went over there and did a bunch of Excel spreadsheets and took cover. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, and they're having to deal with the guilt of this because we're over here like every single person who comes by oorahing at them. Mm-hmm. Like, and the other thing is, I don't care how cool you think the military is as a civilian. If you're not in, you're not in. (laughs) And a lot of people would do real well to understand that being in the fan club does not put you in the military. (laughs) (laughs) And some of these veterans that they talk to like that don't appreciate it. Right. So anyway. That's a long way to say, I like to, you know, I like to talk to the military folks. I do, but I'm not the person to write that. Um, Weston Oaks, that guy has a military background. Mm -hmm. He was in, he understands what it means, you know, and and Trek, you've got Dayton Ward, right? Like if those people say military stuff, you go, oh, okay, that person understands military stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> I have a lot of consultants. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was like, I don't want to write about the Colonial Marines. And also, at the time, I mean, the thought about it, you know, you're just like, wow, even just really thinking the word Colonial is really sticking in my craw recently. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and... uh 
so i mean and, and i've thought this for a number of years um and and i started to kind of coalesce these thoughts around a couple of things one i always thought it would be cool to have an alien novel starring a bunch of rednecks because rednecks can fix anything and they're going to be ventilation shaft experts <laughs> i love it right and i was just like that's going to be amazing there's so many good, you know, I thought there'd be so many more good bits around ventilation shafts, but no, um, <laughs> and I only got a little bit of use out of it. It's clear that you have time living in the South in, in your work because a number of the characters in this in this novel, of course, oh, come yeah. from the South, right? And and I feel like their dialogue and the way that they interact and like the, the types of mannerisms that they have, just they just read like my Florida family members, like- Oh yeah, I like, know these yeah. people, trust yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah yeah i try to take you know i always try to take like a character trait from somebody that i've met that i've that made a strong impression on me and i'm trying to imprint that character trait on somebody that looks nothing like them so they have no idea that i'm taking a snipe right, right? Like, <laughs> just like yeah i'm talking about you you were a real asshole to me that one time <laughs> right <laughs> I, I gotta speaking, work a lot of stuff out in Alien, you know. Speaking of character traits, and this isn't necessarily a question. I want I want to go back to Jamie in, in a second, but before I forget, because you're mentioning consultants and character traits, um, uh -huh. a number of specifically Marines in the book have names that many people who listen to this podcast uh, and are friends of ours will recognize, because a lot of them are friends of ours, the people who have written into the show, and people who've been on the show. And people who you know you consulted with during the formation of this novel, people mm -hmm. who helped bring it to life, and I gotta say especially jason like your memes for this shit over the last few years have for one thing been consistently hilarious but for another thing been uh, like from the very beginning when like he and bradley and everybody and tim were going back and forth with this whole meme battle on gateway station and building y'all owe the books elsewhere. to them i know and i remember thinking <laughs> this is what's gonna do it because when i so alex and i hung out in person a few times in 2018 i think like right after the cold forge came out <laughs> like right? the week like... that it came out i think yeah it was yeah. crazy and, uh, and it was I on your saying, podcast and you said something about being in Boston. And I was like, I'm in Boston. Do you want to hang out? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was that, it, that was, I still bring that up. When I remember, I remember that day. I'm like, so weird. I think Alex is like down the street from my office right now. And I'm and like, right. we're, we grabbed drinks and hung out. It was, it was genuinely surreal and so cool. And yeah. I remember at that point, I was like, please tell me you're writing another alien book. Like, just, just please tell me this is happening. And you were thinking, you know, doesn't seem like that's in the future. It doesn't seem like it's in the cards. Yeah. And then these memes started coming and I was like, oh, other people feel this way too. And I remember thinking to myself, that's what's going to do it. Oh yeah. Yeah. Y'all got them to open up the wallet. <laughs> yeah. All <laughs> right. No, so I mean, I, it's, it's true. It's true. I held out on Titan for a really long time uh, because they, they, at first they were really interested, you know, of course, because, because of the fan response. Right. And and because of the fan response and the sustainment of it, I mean, that enabled us to get, you know, uh, you know, a more kind of, I guess, decent footing. And 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 it let me write the book that I wanted to write, mm. because the other thing is I was being offered a specific you want to work with these people doing this plot kind of thing. And I was like, I don't work like that. Uh, and And like, I, you know. And God bless people who can, because that's amazing. That's real team playing, right? And I'm excited to maybe one day work in like a script writer's room. But like, 
I don't want to be handed like a like a salient points of a novel. Right. Like I if I'm writing the novel, I'm going to spend so much time alone. I want to do it exactly my way. Yeah, it's hard to write other people's stories. Exactly. Exactly. And so like one thing that's true of Cold Forge and is true of this is I got to do whatever I wanted. I was like this is how I want to do this. This is my pitch. And they were like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't believe they, oh man. Uh, and, and, and you don't even know, Patrick, I couldn't believe they let me get away with into Charybdis. I couldn't really? believe it. It was like a freaking heist. <laughs> oh, like the second it got into print, I was like, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> they can't take it back now. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you to the last page patrick that book has something for you to the last page so thank you so much alex for coming on the show that's a good place to end it right now i know you guys you both you and patrick have kids and you have obligations and they're sort of rearing their heads right now um we're gonna schedule a part two to this incredible interview and have alex back on the show to discuss many more questions that we have and to talk about uh into the into into the charybdis <laughs> you um, did it perfectly always, every other time in this show i know Just into, into charybdis into, into charybdis man into yeah. charybdis it does sound kind um, of caribbean the more you say it it does uh so thank you alex for being on the show thank you everyone for listening um if you love our show and uh you want to support us we have a great thing called patreon it starts at four dollars um per month and if you sign up you can get uh, frame rate which is our review show and uh shit show and other things that are coming down the pipe um so if you're if you don't support us already think about it four dollars a month that's less than a latte thanks for listening that's true it used to be less than just like a venti hot coffee to get content now it's less than a latte uh we're not going to get any any ritzier than that there's no coffee level to be less than <laughs> So I think we're going to stop at $4 for the, for the baseline for Patreon. But um, yeah, we're going to get our, our respective children to bed and we'll be back with this part two. Thank you. Everybody. Yes. Yes. Thanks everyone. Have a good night. For more on Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast, please visit perfectorganism.com. Perfect Organism is available for listen or download through Podbean, iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Spotify. If you'd like to support the show, please visit perfectorganism.com forward slash support. Thank you.